0: You are listening to The Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with The Wealth Formula Podcast. Coming to you from Montecito, California, this should be the second podcast of the week. The first podcast was part of our back-to-school series, which is a series where I'm trying to sort of go back to basics and make sure that uh, if you are trying to get an idea of the world of personal finance for yourself, that you have some opinions. And I'm calling them opinions because it's not like just because I said it, it's law. It's just the way I see personal finance and and uh, some of the things related to that, like asset protection and estate planning and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, this particular podcast is part of our usual rotation and it involves the real estate market. Now, As I mentioned, I'm coming to you from Montecito, California. It's a small beach town of about 5,000 people at the southernmost part of Santa Barbara. And if you've been listening to this show for years, you probably remember some of these transitional shows. I mean, literally, when I I decided to move to Montecito from Chicago, I uh, I did a show that day. It was crazy. Anyway, I moved here in 2017 started out as a renter because one thing I learned over the years is that whenever I moved to a new area, I always ended up wishing that I lived in a different part of town. So based on that, it's probably better not to buy right away. And at that time in Montecito, again, 2017, coming from Chicago in the northern suburbs of Chicago, which aren't cheap, I had quite a bit of sticker shock. Just to give you a reference, now, you know, I had a house in the northern suburbs of Chicago. It wasn't cheap by any means as, uh, you know, $2 million. But it bought me a 7,000 square foot home with two and a half acres and an indoor pool. And uh, when I got to Montecito, realized that $2 million didn't get me much of anything. Maybe uh, a garage and, uh, you know, maybe a two bedroom, something like that, a little starter house somewhere. But anyway, barely. So when I saw that change, I needed some time to digest the new reality for a bit as well. I couldn't, you know, jump into that. And in hindsight, though, that wasn't maybe such a good move because since 2017, Montecito Homes saw an average sale price increase of over 60%, the steepest rise in, in, in prices in California during that time. And to be frank, That 60%, that doesn't even sound right to me because I literally saw houses that doubled in prices during this period. So COVID didn't help. There was rich people from LA, San Francisco, New York that realized that if they had to work from Zoom anyway, they might as well do it from paradise where they could also hike the mountains and go to the beach the same day. They were seeing how the Royals moved and how Oprah was here and Ellen DeGeneres and all, all these stars. And, and, and you know, there's been a lot of spotlight on Montecito for that reason. So anyway, created a big, big mess. Uh, you know what else, what else didn't help in terms of this housing market going crazy over here and in really in the rest of the country? Low interest rates, you know. Although I have to say that there was a lot of people buying $10, 15000000 million houses here for cash, and uh, the amount of those people is sort of unreal. But you know, as for the rest of the country, the suburbs pretty much uh, took off everywhere. Right, near zero interest rates, and nowhere to go, made people basically buy nice homes. So they had a, something to do, some place that was nice to stay while quarantined Now quarantines obviously are over, and interest rates are high. And so when you put those together, you might think man, home prices would have fallen off the cliff. Nope. Remember, it's all about supply and demand. Right now, supply is low. Why? Well, if you bought an expensive house at a fixed rate in the past few years, you know, would you be selling anytime soon? I mean, since that time, mortgage rates more than doubled. In other words, many people today couldn't even afford the house they bought a few years ago. You know, just interest rates made it so that they could buy them. And, and frankly, that's a problem across the country. And as a result, supply is so low that even minimal demand is keeping housing prices high. And uh, all I can say is that, you know, I did end up buying a house uh, before things got too crazy. And I'm very thankful of that. Otherwise, I would have been a renter uh, in perpetuity. But, you know, what was crazy is I had to buy anyway, because people were people who were renting their houses and there was a very high percentage of people who are renters here in Montecito because of the housing costs but everybody was ultimately getting kicked out of their rentals because you know of course people wanted to capitalize on on these assets that had doubled or tripled uh, since they they bought them so anyway probably a good thing anyway got a house where I'm podcasting from now um Anyway, the issues around real estate prices right now, even are, are, are very complex, but they really are worth understanding, especially if you're in the real estate investing uh, kind of mindset. Uh, my guest on this week's Wealth Formula podcast is an economist who specializes in these specific issues. So make sure to tune in and see what she has to say about this very unique time in real estate history after these messages. these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is Selma Hep. Selma is the chief economist for CoreLogic, America's largest provider of advanced property and ownership information, analytics, and data-enabled services. She leads the economics teams, which is responsible for analyzing, interpreting, and forecasting housing and economic trends in real estate, mortgage, and insurance. Selma, welcome to Alpha Formula Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. So um, let's let's kind of start with like um, you know some of the interesting things that have happened. Uh, um, you know, obviously the inflation and interest rates and all of that have, have created a little bit of a mess for real estate in general. But, um, in the last, uh, last month, we actually saw, uh, re- inflation down, um, to lowest, it's lowest in two years. Um, does inflation still pose a significant risk in the real estate market? And, uh, where, what do you, what do you make of the new data?
1: Well, so, I mean, we've seen some disinflation happening, right? And most of it is um, sort of leftover effects of, um, um, you know, supply chain disruptions and then also the... Uh, core, uh, the the non-core, so headline inflation in gas prices and uh, food prices. Right now, we have this leftover services inflation that's a little bit more stickier than the one I just talked about, um, and and it's making it difficult to um, you know to sort of expect mortgage rates. To, uh, this, so the, the impact we we're talking about here is mortgage rates, right? That's right. what matters to us the most. Right. And unfortunately, um, you know, we were all sort of thinking mortgage rates would start declining by this point in the year and reach some less than 6% levels by the end of the year. Now, things are looking a little bit different at this point because the inflation persisted, because the Federal Reserve uh, signaled that they will do two more hikes this year and naturally sort of bond markets said, okay, well, I guess uh, this is a longer, higher for longer. Right. And we are not going to see the cuts that uh, rate cuts that we were expecting uh, by the end of this year. So unfortunately, we are we are in this environment of elevated mortgage rates uh, that are you know, causing some constraint on the market. On one hand, they are definitely uh, dampening the demand. So we've seen pretty strong demand coming into the first few months of this year. And then with the banking turmoil uh, and mortgage rates going up, uh, that demand has definitely shifted down. Um, And and sales activity at this point is trending anywhere from 20 to 30 percent below last year or even below 2019 levels but the really, the issue that's um, the bigger issue I think at this point is that uh, high rates are keeping existing homeowners in their homes because. They don't want to give up that low mortgage rate that they locked themselves in uh, or, you know, n- not, to, not to mean that in with a negative connotation. I think it's good because it lowered their mortgage payment, but, but they really don't have an incentive to give up the rate right now. And so we are in this quagmire of, you know, really, you know, nothing is moving that much. Uh, at least in terms of the existing housing market. So, um, you know, to circle back on your inflation question, I I think it it is posing a concern in the sense that, you know, Federal Reserve is laser focused on that two percent. It may take us a little bit longer to get to two percent, and it may really be both not well for housing market uh, uh, going forward. Which at this point we were already expecting it would it would sort of bounce back. So so yeah. Um, yeah. So that's so, a real so one
0: just unpacking a little bit of that. I think what I gathered, um, and I've I've heard this idea before, is. You know, if you look at prices nationally, um, based on uh, based on what's happened with interest rates, you would maybe expect uh, that prices would have gone down a lot more. But because the fact that you know, frankly, people a lot of people are locked into low interest uh, homes, that there's really no incentive to get out of those, and so that's creating a uh, de- significantly decreased inventory. And so so that is uh, that is essentially, you know, sort of stabilizing prices there as well. Is that is that right?
1: Right, right. So I think, you know, uh, to to give some silver lining on this situation is that it has provided these low inventories have provided a floor under home prices. So where we entered the year expecting double digit decline in home prices nationally, or some were expecting that, not, not, not core logic forecast. We, we were not there, but we were expecting some national decline. We're not seeing that. Uh, we actually, uh, as of the February of this year, we started seeing a very strong rebound in monthly gains in home prices, well above what we would traditionally see uh in the spring home buying season. Because usually you do see some increase in home prices. It's a seasonal effect. But but this time we again saw a much higher or much stronger gains than um than than uh than historically. And so what that means now that for nationally, uh forecast is for no longer to see any any uh uh, uh, any recording of a of year-over-year decline in prices, but actually at this point an inflection and uh, a, a, an appreciation on a year-over-year increase in appreciation on a year-over-year basis. So um, you know, it's 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 a good and bad, right? It's good because it's it's provided a, sort of a stability to the market, right. you know, which uh, which was much needed. I mean, I, I think stability particularly when uh when you have consumers being concerned about the housing market and sitting on sidelines you know, giving them some sense that home prices are not going to fall through the, you know, fall off the cliff. Uh, they they do respond well to that. But but I think, the unfortunate thing at the moment that I keep thinking about more and more recently is that this reacceleration in home prices is not going to be good for for inflation. Yeah. You know, because uh, inflation, uh, housing home, housing inflation is what forty percent of overall inflation measure. If we see home prices going up again. You know that's not that doesn't line up with the federal spot Federal Reserve's policy. You know, so so we got you know both sides of the coin here.
0: Yeah, well, that's yeah, it's it's a strange thing to me because to a certain extent, uh, I would think that even with decreased inventory, that there would be a cap to what people can actually afford, and and having uh, you know the affordability being the you know sort of the last wall. That prevents uh, you know prices from going up further, but that's not happening.
1: Yeah, no, I mean I think affordability is an issue, and you know in terms of where typical mortgage payment is historically speaking, or just affordability levels, we are at the lowest affordability level on record, uh, or not on record, maybe going back some forty years. So you know, in many ways, it is on our on in our, our lifetime record um, that we know, of. but. Um, You know, I think what's driving uh, the demand, despite this affordability challenge, is that People are moving across state lines. They're going to areas that do have more, that are more affordable to them. And the other thing is because home prices have gone up, you know, some 40% since the beginning of the pandemic. And on average, people have almost $300,000 in equity. They have a lot of cash to work with. And I think because of that, uh, we continue to see pressure on home prices, particularly in markets that are more you know, like relatively speaking, more affordable. So right. you know, the Southeast, South, whatever, Florida, you know, um, that's where you have a lot of uh, migration to and and it's um holding prices prices high, you know. So uh it's it's not just about affordability of local residents, but it's it's you know we're we're having this new uh new um new trend introduced to the housing market which is migration patterns the ability to work for many uh, out of uh, you know destinations that that they didn't they were not able to from before right
0: sure um you know obviously the paradigm is quite a bit different when it gets to commercial real estate um large multifamily or you know office or anything of that what give give me sort of a, a similar Outlook or not outlook, but sort of maybe uh just tell us where we are right now uh first uh with regard to the uh interest rates and mortgages that we were talking about before when it comes to the commercial markets
1: right, so you know I think the the challenge with commercial market well there's there's a couple of things one is um office uh commercial that, they're, that, they're, that they're, every segment seems to be performing a little bit differently at the mo- at the moment where multifamily housing um you know i, I it has slowed to the similar extent that residential has the single family residential, um, or home ownership market, but apartments and multifamilies are now actually performing well again, uh, given the strong job market that we've had, strong income growth, household formation. You know, when you think about an apartment market or rental market versus, uh, a home ownership market is rental market is much more dependent on that, um, job growth and, and household formation. Um, you know, whereas, you know, home ownership, it's, it's a couple other things, but, but, um, so, so multifamily in in my opinion is, is not doing as bad as we thought it was going to be doing, you know,
0: yeah. um, at least months, yet. Right. <laughs>
1: at least yet. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, you know, I think even with uh job, um, uh, the forecast for unemployment rate of, of unemployment going forward, I mean, it looks like it's only gradually going to increase and and, you know, that increase expected to come to some 4.5% by like, you know, the end of 2024, which is really where we historically have been uh, in terms of rate of unemployment, it's sort of what a lot of people consider natural rate of unemployment where, where the job market is not putting additional pressure on inflation. um, Right. Because of that uh, uh, wage growth. Um, The only thing is though,
0: that like, you know, with regard to the, the, uh, to me, like one of the major things um, that's different here is first of all, um, when you look at larger assets, commercial assets, multifamily, um, debt structures are often very different. Um and also like when you get into these situations where you know funds need to deploy capital or uh, vice versa they need to get out of of real estate because of a closing fund and that kind of thing. Are how how do those things affect what you see? Um, you know, I guess maybe you just start with the interest rates and um, you know, different mortgage structures there because I mean certainly, um. Most of the time, even if you're fixed, you're fixed for you know five, maybe ten years max, and um, and and uh, and a lot of a lot of uh, commercials still floating as well. So,
1: well, right. I mean, I, I think what's 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 the challenge right now is is for commercial is that you know that there are coming. There, there's this huge volume of commercial real estate that's uh, maturing, right? And right. so now they're maturing in this really high rate environment. And so what happens with with with, with those mortgages and those the, those assets? You know, I, I think a lot of people are talking about uh, you know a wave of defaults, uh, particularly for office um group but 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 we're not really yet seeing that in many ways you know so yeah. i don't know if people are working out you know they're maybe getting some private funding uh, some equity private funding to uh you know to help in in this refi uh restructuring or maybe they are um, subleasing, I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but uh, because you know, we, we don't track to perform um commercial performance um that closely in our data. You know, we're mostly residential, um, uh, you know, we're very strong on, on all types of residential data, not so much on, on commercial. So, uh, but but at least what was expected that would be happening at this point is not yet. I mean, we're not seeing a wave of defaults, we've yeah. seen. Um, you know, um, um, the serious delinquency go up for commercial and it has gone up, you know, maybe faster than, um, you know, than historically, right? So, it, right. It, but, but, but the actual default is not, not happening yet. So, how about actual-
0: delinquencies and, um, you know, defaults in, in multifamily, so apartment buildings, um, uh are you, do you have um some data on you know how distressed that market is well, currently yeah.
1: Yeah, no, it's 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 a very similar story where we've seen some increase in delinquency, uh so non-payment, but nothing that is yet, you know, significantly alarming, you know. Mm. So so that's what I mean. I, I think there's some uh workouts being done there, or maybe we have uh, presumed a much um worse uh outcome than, than it's in fact happening.
0: Yeah. Although I would argue that the you know, one of the things that's keeping this market afloat um, is right now is a lot of interest rate caps. Um, right. And those uh, those interest rate caps that were purchased are basically stabilizing a lot of, you know, floating rates. And the question mm-hmm. is, you know, what happens when those caps start to um, expire? And, you know, there's mm-hmm. either you're going to buy more caps or you're going to develop. So, so the question is, I guess, in part, like what we're trying to figure out in our group is, um, and I guess what we're presuming is that there's a, a pretty significant wave of distress on the way, but it sounds like from the data that you're seeing right now, that's not clear.
1: It's not clear. Yeah. You know, I, I, I do, I, am fo- you know, I, I follow that, that, you know, maybe down the road, but I guess what I'm just saying is we're not yet seeing that, yeah. you know?
0: What are some of the other, I guess, things that you're looking at in terms of, say, longer term, um, you know, geographically, um, what markets are becoming increasingly strong, um, which markets are perhaps weakening? What what kind of projections do you have on those types of things?
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, it seems like things go up, things come yeah, down. Yeah, right? sure, sure. <laughs> And so it's it's very much the trends. Uh, so what we're following is the trend with, you know, that pandemic started with is so markets that were really strong at the beginning of the pandemic were markets in the mountain West markets that uh, were second home markets, vacation markets, just areas that people could be outside. Right. I mean, natural extension of what was going on. Uh, and now these are the markets that are the coolest, you know, and uh, particularly if they, you know, if this affordability that we talked about has, you know, it, it been really crunched you know crushed with with rate of appreciation uh but now you know fast forward to where we are today uh markets that over the last year were really hot and those were particular markets in the south and southeast uh now they are cooling really fast you know so so florida to some extent is cooling faster um you know, some markets in Texas, some markets in, in Nashville, in Tennessee, Carolinas, those are the markets that are cooling relatively faster. And the markets that are rebounding are the markets that were cool throughout the uh, pandemic. You know, for example, Chicago, Mount um, Midwest markets, uh, Boston for a long time was a very cool market during the pandemic. New York, too. These are the markets where we, in terms of rents, um, are not... Now seeing those markets sort of ha- ranking on top of the list, so you know it's sort of a sh- you know shift, and and again it's you know it's go, it goes so it's, down. Go, it, so it yeah. sounds to
0: me like you're you're um, talking a little bit about is you know people are moving back into cities.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think we're seeing that. I I think we're seeing that, which I think why maybe I'm not so um, negative on the commercial real estate or, you know, office uh, talking about office here. Uh, You know, I think some markets uh, will, 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 you know, suffer more so than other markets, but there are many markets across the country where people are going back to the offices or they've already been, they they haven't been uh, uh, away from the offices as much as we talked about. We, We, it seemed to emphasize a couple markets and say that and then generalize that uh, all the trends are the same as in these couple of markets where, where every market seems to be different. Um, and so, um, um, so, so, yeah, I would say that, you know, there is pressure, particularly from management, for folks to come back into the offices. People want to go back to the offices and they want to go back to wherever they were from maybe you know, I think in many ways, the for some people, the migration was temporary during the pandemic. They didn't permanently move to, I don't know, you know, Tennessee, you know, or Nashville, Tennessee, because that was sort of one of the boom markets during the pandemic or Boise, Idaho, you know, but it was a temporary move. Right. Sure. So, um, you know, so I think we're just seeing some, you know, readjustment. Yeah.
0: So in the cities, and I don't even know if this is really necessarily part of what you, something you would look at, but I know there's some government plans to, you know, going back to the idea of people moving into cities um, to convert urban commercial buildings potentially into some uh, affordable housing. I don't know if you've heard of that, but...
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, that's a, that's a huge topic at the moment. And a lot of people are looking at, you know, potential, you know, built out, you know, sort of, um, capacity. Um, but, um, what it seems to be, well, at least from the research I've seen so far, it seems that the, uh, the office building that provide most opportunity for such, uh, conversions are offices that are not located in downtowns and urban centers, but are more suburban, older office building, those, um, you know, spread out, um, uh, uh what do they call them Con- uh like office parks mm-hmm. right versus mm-hmm. versus you know you think downtown I don't know San Francisco or downtown LA it's it's those office buildings are much harder and costlier to convert so um you know so I think I think the enthusiasm is there I'm just not uh sure to what extent is really realistic in many of these uh markets. That, that definitely actually need affordable housing.
0: Yeah, yeah, sure. So in going back to the Fed and interest rates and uh, inflation, um, I mean, I guess from your, uh, as an economist, what are your projections? What do you think is going to happen? You know, obviously we've got, um, you know, we've got the Fed uh, talking about two more rate hikes, but, and nothing so far has really, I guess, besides there's been some bank failures, obviously there's been some distress in the market, but not as much as you want or not as much as you would expect, I guess. Um, the question is, um, you know, do you think that there's just, I mean, at what point do they stop raising rates? Um, you know, as an economist, when you look at that, like what, I mean, is it just, you're looking for a solid 2% inflation rate and then you've got is, is that the only thing that we're looking at there? I mean, what if a lot of things start breaking?
1: Right. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's a couple of things going on here. I think one is a Federal Reserve's, um, Federal Reserve's, um, uh, what is the w- word? Um, Mandate? Uh, no, confidence in Federal, like their mm. their um, uh, reputation, or that's mm-hmm. not the right word, but, you know, trying to maintain a confidence in their actions, right, by, by markets. So, so you know, they have been very persistent on saying that 2% is the goal and target and that they're not going to give up until uh, you know, I think in one of the recent uh, commentaries, it said if when uh, uh, inflation is coming down really significantly is I think how they worded it. And we have not seen the really significantly part yet. Uh, but I do believe that if things started breaking uh, much more than they have that we would see uh, things change. I think we would see, you know, but, you know, I mean, you saw that basically after, uh, April, uh, you know, after the March situation with banks, you know, and then the June meeting came along and they stopped, you mm-hmm. know, and, and then well in advance of that meeting, they were communicating the intent to, to stop or the pause. Um, it, actually, I, I think even they were uh, communicating a, a full stop, but it left it a little bit open. I mean, you know, people spend much more time going like, word by word by what what the federal reserve is saying but i mean you know really if you look at what they've been saying and what they've been doing it's been very consistent so i think they you know you know they want to be taken seriously in their intent and if their intent is to bring it down to 2% with maybe some average uh band around it you know cuz prior to the pandemic you know there was a a a a target range it wasn't right so so if we come into that range i think i think they would stop you know so again i i think something breaking uh would Make them stop otherwise, you know, coming into that range or seeing significant, which I think at this point we may see significant disinflation. Uh, because at this point, um, we are comparing year over year numbers that peaked last summer. So the gas prices peaked in July, right? And so, because of the base effects, we are going to see inflation coming down pretty significantly in the coming months.
0: Why do you think we're not in a recession? or maybe we were headed to, towards one, but it seems with this kind of uh, rate increase, you would expect, you know, you would expect, <laughs> I would, I mean, I'm not an economist, but I'm wondering why we haven't, you know, gotten to recessionary numbers yet. Yeah. And, and employment, well, by the way, and, and employment still going up it just doesn't make sense to me.
1: Right. Well, I think what we, you know, the economists brought this up you know years ago that we are we don't have enough uh, uh, la- labor out there. You know, our labor has been shrinking. Uh, there were many more people that retired uh, during the pandemic than we were expecting, given the trend line. And the other thing we saw is a huge drop in immigration uh, during the pandemic, which is now rebounding. Um, so um, I think what's you know what really we have going on is not enough labor. Um, and, um, you know, and, and, and so everybody's employed and when you're employed, you spend money, right. you know? And right. so I think that's, what's keeping, um, what's keeping us going at this point.
0: Yeah. Do you see any pressures on, I mean, what is your anticipation? Do you, do you your, does your, as an economist, do you see us avoiding in, uh, a recession with all of this?
1: Well, I think the recession calls have been um you know revised down in many ways. Or yeah. A lot of folks now don't have, you know, call a recession in, in their forecasts. Uh, they're calling from a uh you know growth recession which basically sure. means growth below potential but not a decline. Right. Um so I think um yeah, I, I think I I think we can weather this out and maybe maybe actually indeed come out of this with a soft landing.
0: Yeah. Well, that would be interesting. <laughs> yeah. that, that, would be a, that would be interesting. Certainly from our perspective on, you know, from my perspective on looking at what's going on in the multifamily real estate, it's hard to imagine that there'll be a complete soft landing in terms of real estate. But, um, but well, who knows, right? Um, uh, so Salman, tell us a little bit about uh, Core Logic.
1: Well, uh, yeah, CoreLogic. You know, as you mentioned at the beginning, you know, we're a premier provider of data, uh, residential housing, most residential data and solutions, um, and and so we you know we, we collect you know thousands of data sets uh across uh the housing uh ecosystem including property records data mls data mortgage uh performance mortgage servicing mortgage originations uh appraisal data um um tax recording data um uh, permits data and now the latest uh, data that, you know, that we use in uh, that we've the, the latest data set uh, or analytics uh, uh, solution that we developed using all of this data is uh, climate change or, or hazard risk scoring uh, by property. So basically you can go property by property and there is a, a, a risk score of potential hazards and, and we do hope that with that um consumers well and 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 you know others asset managers as well will be better informed about potential risks uh um in in uh, uh geographically right because yeah. there are areas that are continually I mean there's this issue with with insurance in California right? right there's the same issue in Florida um and so this is something that we all need to be better educated so so the idea of this Solution is of a climate change solution is to help with that.
0: The website is corelogic.com. Selma, thank you very much for joining us on Wealth Formula Podcast.
1: Thank you. Thanks so much for having me.
0: We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Just uh, kind of a crazy market we live in, right? Um, And boy, all I can say is I am glad I did buy a house and uh, who knows how it's going to turn out? You know, that's the hard thing that's, you know, really hard to understand here is what happens if rates start going down again? Does, you know, do, do people start selling? Is there more liquidity? And then because there's more liquidity, then does that actually paradoxically, you know, uh, bring housing prices down? It's all so confusing, but it'll be uh, interesting to see what happens. That's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. Now, remember, I am doing multiple podcasts per week in some cases because I am trying to focus on this whole back to school model to get everybody caught up with, you know, sort of some personal finance principles. So make sure to tune into those. And also make sure to tune into my other podcast, which is Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Sapio with Buck Joffrey is all about, you know, health and longevity and that kind of thing. Uh, if you haven't listened to the show, make sure you do. It's—I I guarantee you—it'll be applicable to you because you are a human being, and you probably want to be healthy and live uh, a long time. And and uh, so so go check it out. Say "peel" with Buck Joffrey. That's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. Though this is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions not fact as always consult your own financial team before making any investment see you next time buck joffrey here from Sapio with buck joffrey aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years it's already being done in lab animals so it's just a matter of time our challenge to be healthy enough for when that time comes as a former scientist and surgeon myself my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.